Now, I hope that you learned something tonight that really changes you in, in, in your heart. Not that I think you need to be changed, but how many of you would admit tonight that there's some areas of your life that you could grow in? And, and my hand's up. And you notice I put my hand up first. And sometimes we don't even know what those areas are. And, some, and the Lord will bring that to our mind, and then He'll give us an opportunity. And we're able to take in that knowledge. And, and, and I, I explained one time, I had a person ask me, what's the invitation for? I was like, you know, a person that's new to church, why are all those people going down and praying? That's weird. Uh, why do they do that? And, and honestly, that is our opportunity to respond to the message that God has preached in our heart. And sometimes that message may be different than the one that's preached from the pulpit. I've had people come up to me at the back door and say, Pastor, the Lord really spoke to me about this today. And I'm thinking, I didn't say a word about that. But the best message they could hear was the one that the Holy Spirit gave them that day. It was exactly what they needed and they responded. So tonight, I hope this is a blessing to you. Romans chapter number 15, we're going to read one verse tonight and we're going to jump right in this because it, it can take some time to get through and I do not want to keep you long. It's, it's a quarter till seven according to this clock up here, so I just gained an hour. So praise the Lord. We'll be here for a while, but um, I promise uh, that I won't keep you long, but I do have some things that... I really think that will challenge your thinking, they've challenged my thinking, they've helped me in my understanding of missionaries. And we kick it off tonight in this one particular verse in Romans 15 and verse number 30, where the Apostle Paul, who indeed was a missionary to the Gentiles, he says this to the church of Rome. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. I want you to notice a couple of aspects about this verse, the wording that is chosen uh, by the Lord for us. First of all, Paul is putting that, uh, hey, I'm, I'm begging you to consider this. And he says, now I beseech you, brethren. He's, he's saying, time out for a second. I just want to talk to you, and I want you to really consider this. He said, I'm, I'm beseeching you, brethren, for whose sake? He doesn't say for my sake. He doesn't say for the Apostle Paul's sake. He says, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, I am asking you, and for the love of the Spirit, and then he gives his request. And listen to it very closely as we read it again slowly. That ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. You know, yesterday we talked about God's simple plan of missions, and we talked about prayer and we talked about the power, needing the power of the Holy Spirit and the blessings. Paul is really uh, going back to that here when he says that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. In other words, I am out here on the Lord Jesus Christ's behalf. I'm out here on your behalf. And I'm out here on the behalf of the lost that need to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying, he doesn't say a word about support here. He says, I want you to lift up my name to our Heavenly Father in prayer. And listen to how he describes the method of prayer. He said that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. In other words, it's something that you do purposeful. It's almost laborious as a task because you have to apply some effort. In other words, if you have to know what you're going to pray, you have to know how you're going to pray about it, and then you're going to have a sense of expectation that God's going to do something about it. So when we think about this here tonight, I want you to understand, here's, here's where it challenged me. And I told you this yesterday as a kind of a trailer to the, the message tonight. And that is, I caught myself 
in my life, even though I've been in church all my life and have had missionaries at our table in our home uh, all the years that I was growing up and my parents would invite them in, I found myself as I became more and more aware of more missionaries that I, I kind of retreated to the prayer at the end as the tag that said, and God helped the missionaries today. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. Understand that. But there's a difference between God help the missionaries and this idea of striving together with them. It gives us the idea that they are working towards an end and now I'm going to do my part and work and labor alongside them even though we're not in the same territory, maybe not even on the same continent. So in order for me to pray for them specifically, honestly, we need to break down the missionary a little bit tonight and get to know them and understand what they go through. Uh, you have the notebook that's out there on the table in the, in the lobby that has all of the prayer letters. And I encourage you, don't let it collect dust. Let it be something that you say, you know what, I'm going 10 minutes tonight early to church and I'm going to read five prayer letters before church tonight. And, and go through that. Or I'm going to stay late and I'm going to volunteer to do something that nobody likes to do and turn all the lights off and lock the doors. And while I'm waiting for the last person to leave, I'm going to read prayer letters and kind of get familiar and know how to pray for these people. I will say this, every pastor or every staff member believes that there should be a great big switch by the door where you just go, ka-chunk, and all the lights go off and all the doors lock, and you walk out. I mean, that's what you want, but somebody has to do it. So here's what we're going to do tonight. I may end up down there on the main floor, but I'm going to start up here, and I'm going to start at the beginning of a missionary's journey. And it's something that you've heard the term, and you may be familiar with it tonight, and I'm not going to try to be overly simplistic and I'm not going to try to talk down to you. These are things that I've learned having been a missionary, watching missionaries, living through some of these experiences. I'm going to be about as transparent as you've ever heard anybody be tonight and tomorrow night as we talk through these areas. There's six different places that I'm going to stand. And the first one is this idea of deputation. Now, let's just very simply define deputation. If I ask any one of you, you would say, well, I don't know, you just drive around and you go to all these churches and you hope they support you. Yes, that's exactly right. But we're going to break it down a little bit more. The idea of deputation, deputation comes from the same root word as the word deputy. When uh, someone goes to work for the sheriff's department or the police department, they have to raise or put their hand on the Bible and raise their hand and swear an oath. And what they're doing is whoever's in charge, be it the sheriff, they'll say uh, he, he, he is deputizing that individual to act on his behalf wherever he's conducting the county's business. It, does that make sense? Everybody understand that? So when you look at it from that same root word as deputize, a missionary is going to go to a church in hopes of presenting his burden, like we heard Brother Lane tonight or even Miss Sarah on the video, and their desire is in the five minutes that they're given behind the pulpit and the five minutes of the video and the time around the tables during the conference that you're going to catch a vision of what God is calling them to do. And then you as a church are going to decide, we want to be a part of this, and we are going to deputize these individuals to act on our behalf in uh, Honduras or in uh, the Dominican Republic or with the military or wherever they may be with the revival ministry. We're going to choose to be a part of that ministry and they're acting on our behalf. So that's what the word deputation means. Now, how does it play out? And this is where it gets a little practical. 
Deputation, it, it's kind of changing because of uh, the technology that we have available and social media and things of that nature. But generally speaking, a missionary is going to take in names of any pastor or church that they ever have heard about, and they're going to call them and try to book a meeting. Now, no, this isn't against Brother Wagner, because I have no idea if this is a problem here, but being a pastor, I know that oftentimes the phone rings constantly, especially when they know you're a missions-minded church. Why would you call a church that's not a mission-minded church if you needed support, right? But the idea is they, they need support, but they'll call those churches, and generally it takes about 10 contacts in order to get one meeting. And then only about half of the meetings that you have, they'll be in a place financially where they can support you. And so if you're a statistic person and you want to do the math, you realize you have to visit a lot of churches, you have to make a lot of phone calls, there's a lot of uh, uh, correspondence that goes into play just to get where God wants you to go. And I'm not saying anything bad about deputation, it's just the way that it's done in the independent Baptist, but I will say it works. Now, I'm going to give you three things about deputation. I hope you're writing these down tonight. I'm, I'm planning on writing a brochure that has all this information in it for BIMI, and I'll bring that to meetings from now on, but it's not finished yet. But the first thing of deputation has three different areas that I want you to remember. Three subpoints, if you will. And they all begin with S. The first one is the word safety. Why would we need to pray for missionaries to have safety? Well, last year, my wife and I drove 48,000 miles, and we flew over 100,000 miles. I would like to think that somebody is praying for our safety. You know, it's kind of like when you're going in for surgery, people say, pray for me. I'm like, don't just pray for me, pray for my doctor, amen? Pray that he gets a good night's sleep and that his home life is intact. Uh, you know, when you get on a plane, well, I'm praying for a good flight. I'm praying that the pilot has a good flight, amen? Well, when you pray for a missionary, pray for their safety. I say this, why? Because they're out there on the road all the time in between meetings. They don't mind it. I'm not talking bad about it. It's just a part of it. So pray for safety. My wife and I, Chris, there's been multiple times in the last 12 months that we're driving down the road and suddenly it'll be the Holy Spirit will say, you need to go. You need to get off the road for a minute. Now, it may come and, hey, this would be a great, great place to stop for lunch or a, a bathroom break. And then we get back on the road to find that an accident just happened right after we got off the road. We didn't cause the accident, okay? There's somebody out there thinking that. But uh, that didn't happen. And you know what I, what I feel? Number one, I'm grateful for the promptings of the Holy Spirit of God. But I also know that there are people that are praying for our safety and God is answering their prayers. So we're praying for safety. Now here's the second part. It also begins with S. Oftentimes these missionaries that are out on deputation, when my wife and I did it the first time, our daughter was six weeks old and our son was about 19 months old. 18, I have no idea how long they're in between them. But anyway, they were little. They were both in car seats. There were lots of french fries in our floorboard. You know what this is? It starts with an S. It's called sanity. You drive 48,000 miles. Uh, some of you folks, you, your kids are grown, but how, would, how many of you would like to drive 48,000 miles with your grandkids or great-grandkids this year? Absolutely not. So if you see them come in with small children, the first thing you're going to say is, bless your heart. <laughs> the second thing you're going to understand is if their kids come in, this is what happened with our son. 
Now, Patrick's 25, so I can talk about him. He, he survived it, I survived it, so now we can talk about it. When we would drive 10 and 12 hours, because I was a terrible dad and booked meetings that far apart, he, he was this energetic guy, and he'd be in his car seat, and when we'd get to the church and we'd pop the button on the car seat, he came out of the car seat like, freedom! I mean, he was excited. I am out of the seat. And, it, and then he's supposed to walk in the church, and here's all the people in the church waiting for the missionary kids to come walking in all nice, and their ties up, and their shirts tucked, and their hair's all matted down, and here comes my son. <laughs> Who is this demon child? I'm like, I don't know. We picked him up on the road. The idea is when you pray for them, understand they live on the road. My daughter was six weeks old when we started deputation. So for a year and a half, you say, where are you from? She's like, uh, the back seat of a grand marquee. I mean, that's where her car seat was. She had no idea. I mean, we did tell her later she was born in North Carolina so she could claim that and wear the blue shirt. But uh, the idea was she, she didn't know that was her home, that was her life, that's all she knew. So I say this, you pray for their safety and their deputation, you pray for their sanity. And then thirdly, just very simply, they need support. Uh, ultimately, you as a supporting church want them to reach the field. You don't want them driving all over the country going to churches that aren't going to support them. You want them ultimately to get to Honduras and Dominican and other places, and you want to see fruit added to your account because of your sacrifice and your giving and your support for them. So we started with this deputation thing. This is number one. Uh, so what were the three things under deputation? Safety, sanity, that's a big one, and support. Now let's move to number two. How am I doing? Not very well. <laughs> number two. I've got six of these. Maybe I'll get two more in quickly tonight. Is that all right? The second one, when a missionary has their support, where do they, where do, they do after that? They typically go to the field, correct? Most often, unless they're going to be a missionary to the military, there's a language barrier that must be crossed. I mean, I grew up in Tennessee. I thought I spoke English until I got in college and found out that English was a foreign language to me. I spoke Tennessean, but I didn't know all the words that I was hearing in English in college. So I had already been to foreign language school once to learn English. I can say that because I'm from Tennessee. You guys are looking at me like, you know what I'm talking about. When, but for me to go minister in Venezuela, it was necessary that I learn the Spanish language. Now, there's some folks that are out there, and, and I would disagree with them, but they're good people and they're doing a good work that would say, hey, just get an interrupter and, and run with uh, interpreter and run with that and just do the best you can. But let me say what happens to you. When you put the effort in learning that person's heart language, you're going to be able to minister to them in a way that a person with an interpreter cannot minister to them. Here's probably the best way to understand this. How many of you have ever called a customer service department and you've talked to someone you know is in another country? Go ahead and raise your hand. Let me see it. You're all going to get this point. Can you imagine that person that you said, please let me talk to someone who speaks English? Can you imagine that person coming up to your door and say, saying to you, as a Tennessean in Kingsport, Tennessee, in your neighborhood, knocking on your door, and they say, I would like to tell you about God and how to get to heaven. That's the first time you thought of that, isn't it? 
That's probably the best way that it hit me of what it sounds like if a person doesn't put the effort in learning my heart language to communicate with me in a way that I would normally hear it. But when that person has put an effort, they may not say it exactly the way you would say it, but you can tell they have put an effort in learning your heart language. You're going to listen to them more intently. Now, they never will get it perfect. You know, I, I graduated from college. I had a master's degree. I've been through flight school, and I go to language school, and suddenly my three-year-old daughter is talking better than me in Spanish. Chris and I are driving down the road, and we'd talk about Spanish all the time. We'd be like, how do you say this? And our three-year-old in the back seat would go, this is how you say it, blah, 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 blah. And I'd be like, who asked you? <laughs> be quiet. I said that one day. I said, how do you say be quiet in Spanish? And she answered me from the back seat. I'm like, then cállate. The idea is they must learn the language. And it's not everyone learns the same. My wife graduated from Bible college, taking Greek and everything else that I took. She graduated summa cum laude. I graduated, oh, Lordy, come quickly. <laughs> I mean, I was an okay student, but I was not summa cum laude material. That's why I married her, amen, so I could finish college. I'm just teasing. We married afterwards. The idea is when we got to language school, here's what happened. I, I, before they diagnosed ADD, it was pronounced B-R-A-T. That's what I was, okay? So when we got to, uh, some of you are still trying to figure out what that is. Brat. Yeah, there he goes, because he's not listening. What is wrong with this man? We get to language school, and this is what happened the very first day. The lady walks into our first period class, 8 o'clock. I'm excited. I'm Joe Missionary. I'm on the mission field. We have arrived. We are doing what God called us to do. And Maruha walked into our class and said, My name is Maruha, and this is the last thing I will say to you in English. And I went, I'm done. I can't believe I paid money to be told that. And then she went on in, English, in Spanish, and my wife's sitting there, and she's going, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's writing things down. I'm like, you don't know what she's saying. And she's listening, and I'm going, she's like, hush, honey, just listen. You'll get it. And I'm like, get what? I got nothing. You say, what did you do? I stayed in class, but you know what I did? I counted all the floor tiles. I counted the ceiling tiles. I counted the window panes. There was a banana tree outside the window. I counted the bananas in the bunch that was hanging on the tree. And I did that day after day after day, just hoping that something that woman threw at me would stick. And my wife's over there, and she's learning, and she's learning, and she's learning, and she's going, honey, isn't this great? And I'm like, what? I mean, one day she said, what are you giggling about? I'm sitting there. We're sitting right next to each other, and she says, what are you giggling about? And I said, well, I'm just wondering, how would you, how would you translate the word mosey? I'm going to mosey over here and do this. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know what she's saying. I'm just trying to apply myself and do what God asked me to do and go to language school. So what I did, the Lord gave, the, the Lord gave me some sense. I couldn't use that word in Michigan. They don't know what mosey means up there. But I, I bought a dirt bike, an enduro bike, and I would go out after the classes during the day. I would go in the afternoon out to the airport. I was a pilot and a mechanic. And I would work at the airport in the afternoon with the pilots and mechanics. 
They used the English in their logbook entries so I could check their logbook entries and make sure they were right. Uh, they would speak to me in Spanish. I would answer them in English and we'd switch it up back and forth. And I started learning the language. It started sticking. I had no idea what Moruja was saying. I mean, we go, to, we go to Burger King and for three months all I could order was combo numero uno. Let me tell you, you can only eat so much chicken. I was like, I'm ready for numero dos, but I didn't know how to say it. I mean, I want you to understand, this is what they go through. Now, some of them just have a knack for it, and they immediately, they just embrace the language and the culture, and they're able to go, but others are going to struggle. So, if you're reading a prayer letter of a missionary, and you're thinking in your mind, wow, we've been supporting them on deputation, but now they're going to the field. Understand, the prayers don't stop there. You're just shifting gears in how you're praying for them. No longer is it, I mean, you can still pray for safety and sanity. That's not a bad one. But when they move to the language, you need to say, whew, God, you need to help Brother Brandon. He don't have any hair to pull out. So he's going to pull somebody else's hair out. Lord, you need to be with him. He's going in language school. He's going to meet somebody named Maruha. And he's not going to like her. And he's going to have to deal with that and learn the language. And when his kids learn it faster than him, man, God, you got to help his kids to stay at a safe distance away from him. All of these things you need to pray for. And then, but let me tell you, let me tell you how sweet it is. The first time you're able to sit down and in that language, lead someone through the word of God and hear them pray the prayer in their heart language, accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior. You can't purchase that in a store. Somebody told me, you're getting close to mastering the language when you dream in the language. I thought, well, that'll never happen. The first time it happened to me, it scared me to death. I woke up in the middle of the night with these weird voices in my head, and my wife's like, what's going on? I said, I was preaching in Spanish. She said, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I said, it was good. I wish I'd recorded it, because I'm not that good yet. You know, they're going to go through those things and pray for them when they first get to the field. Pray for their kids. Not all of the kids are going to grasp the language right away. So pray that they make that adjustment. And then let me give you number three tonight, and we'll call it quits after that. Number three is, it kind of goes simultaneously along with learning the language, and that is cultural adjustment. Cultural adaptation is what many refer to it in. They've made it to the field and suddenly they realize, I'm not in Kingsport anymore. Now, my wife's from Michigan. I'm from Tennessee. We went through some cultural experiences when we got married. She said one day, I don't know them from Sikkim. And I'm like, what is Sikkim? Sikkim's what you say to your dog when somebody breaks into the yard. I said, who is Sikkim? She says, I don't know. It's just what we say. I mean, you'll go through some cultural experiences. They eat bologna in Michigan, but they don't eat bologna like we eat bologna. I mean, God's kind of bologna. We smoke it and barbecue it and fry it and throw an egg on it and put it on toast. And man, we go to meeting right there. Up there in Michigan, they serve it in a ring that looks like a snake in a jar and formaldehyde. I think they said it's vinegar, but that's what it looks like. And they're going, when she says, I want bologna, I'm like, I don't want that in my house. You know, there's cultural experiences. But here's what happens when you, go, when you go to this culture. Suddenly you'll be like, why do they do it that way? That doesn't make sense. And if you're not careful in your American mentality of we do everything right and you do everything wrong, we can destroy the very relationships that we're trying to build by trying to correct them on everything. 
You ever seen this, Brother Abraham? We don't do it intentionally. We honestly think we know a better way to do it. But they've been doing it that same way for thousands of years, and they're okay. We might know a better way. For instance, when I got to Venezuela, uh, they didn't, they had just, someone had just built the first ready-mix concrete plant in the city of Ciudad Bolivar. I'm thinking, hallelujah. But they're thinking you can't trust it. I'm like, okay, so what do you do? And they pour cement out, they pour sand out, they add water, they mix it in the middle of the street, they wheelbarrow it back, pour it out of the wheelbarrow, and it would take two days to pour a sidewalk that could have been poured in 15 minutes if a ready-mix truck came out. And I'm like, hey, guys, let's have a meeting. And they're like, no, you can't trust that, Pastor. And I'm like, okay, I'm not here in Venezuela to convince them that ready-mix is a better alternative. We'll just spend three days pouring the sidewalk and love Jesus and have a relationship when we're done. And there's those things you run into them time and time again. I went into a hardware store one time in Venezuela. and I have a construction background. And so I was doing some work in our house and replumbing the house and rewiring it and doing some things. And I went in and I said, I need three drywall or I need a box of drywall screws. I mean, you go into Lowe's or Home Depot, you just buy what you need or the hardware, you buy the box. You don't buy two or three because you might need the rest of them later, right? Well, I go in, he said, how many do you need? I said, I want a box. He goes, well, how many do you really need? I said, well, I only need three today, but I might need three more tomorrow. Just sell me a box. He goes, I don't sell them by the box. I said, just sell me the box. So he's, he's mad, but he figured them up as individual pricing and charged me for every piece in the box, but he sold me the whole box, and they lasted me about six months. I go back into the same hardware six months later. I know he has them, and I said, uh, I need another box of drywall screws. He said, I quit carrying them. I couldn't keep them on the shelf. <laughs> how long have you been in business? And how are you in business? You stop selling the one thing that you sell the most of? I'm going to come back and buy some more. But he's like, no. And so in my American mentality, I went, okay, Lord, you have to help me here. Because I'm not here to destroy this man. I want to win him to Jesus, but if I make fun of him and belittle him and destroy a relationship before it's ever met, then I might as well go home to the United States where everyone understands me. And then you think about that, and they really don't hear either. We deal with it, but it's a lot more in your face when you're in another culture. We were building a church with Terry Jones, uh, the Central American director. He was a missionary in Costa Rica. And he said, hey, Brian, after school one day, why don't you come over? We're laying block on our new church building. Would you like to do that? And I'm like, get out of the classroom and do something with my hands? Yes, I'll be there. So we go over and we're laying block and we're cleaning the, uh, the grout joints and all of this, and making it look perfect. And I look over and here's this little guy probably named Jose. And he's got a hammer and a chisel. And I'm like, what's he doing? And he chisels this hole, and I'm watching him in kind of a rectangle. I said, oh, that must be for an outlet box. He goes over to the other side of the wall, and he puts one in where it must be a light switch. And I'm thinking, okay, how's he going to run the wire in that? They didn't run any wire in the block. And then he takes that chisel, and he goes right across that brand-new smooth block wall, chink, 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 and made a line in the block all the way across. And I'm thinking, what in the world is this man doing? And then he starts tucking wire in there. It wasn't in any kind of conduit or anything. He's just tucking it in there. And then he smears concrete over it and smooths it all out. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That will never pass code. And they went, what's code? 
I said, the inspector won't pass it. What's an inspector? I'm like, it's going to be great. It's going to be fine. If it works, it works. If it, it can't burn it down, it's all, it's all concrete and metal. It can't burn down. So one day we might have sparks in church, but it's all going to be okay. The idea is it was a cultural experience. And here's what happens for a missionary. They finish deputation, and they feel like it's just going to be great after this point. And then they get hit head on with this language. And they think, am I ever going to be able to talk to these people? And at the same time, they're dealing with the difference in culture and they're battling the culture and they're battling the language and their kids are doing great one day and they're doing terrible the next day. And like one day my son walks in and he said, he said to his mom and dad, Chris and I, he said, I hate Spanish people. Ugh. I think we have a problem. We're living in Latin America. They're all Spanish. And, and your missionaries are dealing with this. And I'm not telling you this to complain as a missionary. Man, God is so, so, so faithful. And you overcome these things. But I'm giving them to you tonight so that when you read these prayer letters, suddenly as you're reading them, you're, like, you're picking up on, wow, Sarah's in language school. God be with her because there might be a brother Brian sitting, sitting next to her or near her in the classroom. And Sarah's going to need help because that fellow's going to distract her. She's going to need help because somebody's going to ask her a question she's not going to know the answer to. I mean, there's a time when you're learning the language when somebody will come up and they'll just start talking to you and the only thing you can say is, Mi nombre es Brian, esto es mi esposa Cristina y los dos hijos nuestros. This, my name is Brian, this is my wife Chris, and this is our two kids. And then you want to say, please don't ask me anything because that's all I know. You're trying to be nice, but you just, I mean, you just don't know the language. All of this is going on at the same time. So the reason why I'm sharing this with you tonight, church, is because when Paul says, strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, you know what you can do? When you read that prayer letter of that missionary that's in one of these time frames of life, and you read it in their prayer letter, in the age of, technology and social media and email you can send a short message that just simply says today I prayed for you and your desire to learn the language that God would give you your first convert that God would give your children the ability to understand that today God would take away some of the frustrations that might be in your heart you say, aren't missionaries spiritual? They want to be. You see that black spot on the back of my fingernail? How many of you know what happened there? I wasn't tickling it one day and it turned black. I was actually setting up my display in a church a few weeks ago and pulled it up. And when I pulled it up, I didn't hook it all the way and it slammed down on that finger. And I'm glad somebody was praying for me at that moment. You know, I wouldn't have said anything profane. I wouldn't have done anything poorly. But let me tell you, the devil is going to make sure that the pressures are there. All we're asking as missionaries is that there's someone back stateside that says, God, I have a little more understanding of what the baggots are going through or what the fishes are going through or Miss Sarah's going through. And today I just want to pray specifically about this need. Tomorrow night, we're going to get into some other things that 
you may have never thought about. I'm going to tell you some stories of some things that happened in our life. Again, none of these are complaints. I think that my transparency will just help you see what goes on in our heart and in our mind as we're trying to do exactly what we've told the churches all through deputation that God wants us to do. And we want to do it for God's honor and His glory. But let me tell you, there is no encouragement like a supporting church or supporting pastor reaching out and just letting us know that we're on their mind. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you tonight, and Lord, I do believe with complete honesty tonight that the folks in this church on a Monday night in a missions conference, I believe they're here because they want to be here. I believe they're here because they want to learn. I believe that they want to grow. Lord, they want to enhance their knowledge and, and truly have understanding of what's going on in the lives and the hearts of missionaries. Lord, they are wonderful people. I do believe that they are special people because they have surrendered uh, to leave their homes and to leave their families and to learn another language and to embed themselves in another culture for the, for the sake of the gospel. Lord, their hearts are in it. But honestly, they're just people. They're just like us. Lord, they have fears. They have insecurities. Lord, they have failures on a daily basis. But Lord, we do not want those fears and failures to consume us and deter us from what you've called us to do. So tonight, Lord, I ask that you would put it on the heart of every person in here to make a commitment tonight to pray for their missionaries, specifically in these first three areas that we've talked about tonight. This deputation, this learning of the language, and this cultural adaptation. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and the honor and glory for it. In Christ's name.